0: Oh, I think you've had 35 seconds of silence. Oh, it's going. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh I'm so sorry, everyone. Uh, this is still, it's not quite perfect, but I think I think it's where it needs to be. I could go on mucking around with it for hours and hours, but um, it's here. Folks, are you there? Can you hear me? We are live for Railnatter. We're an hour late. Oh, my goodness. I can't remember the last time I was this late for a Railnatter a long time ago. I'm so sorry, everyone. Thanks so much for your patience but it's streaming we're here you can hear me oh right this is gonna be a fun one isn't it (laughs) (laughs) oh let's uh oh i've got messages from people going what the hell is going on uh oh, oh so excellent right let's 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 not let's not fuss um uh, oh I mean I say let's not f- yeah exactly let's let's not fuss let's uh, let's crack on um everyone I'm so sorry it's late but welcome to tonight's rail matter As the Intercity two two five fades away rather relevantly, um, Nikki is saying, "Oh crikey, uh, someone missed a connection." I hope you're joking that you missed connections. I'm sorry I've ruined people's evenings. Oh, oh. So, um, uh, people are pickled. Good. This, this, this tweet. They are alluding to this tweet a while back. That I believe it's probably gone it's gone viral while I've been prepping the episode again because it's a fun it was a fun thread. It's one of my favourite threads I've done. Um Oh my goodness. I've also melted the inside of my face when I ate beans panic in a panic about two hours ago. I should have basically spent yesterday evening doing this episode instead of whatever I did instead. Uh, I think I was working, but that's fine. Mm. Let's get my miniaturized face in the corner. Hello everyone. Uh usual Trainspotter t shirt on there, lovely. And we've now been made illegal. But more on that in um, more on that in next week's episode, where we'll do some news. But that, that's for the future. So um, Margaret Thatcher being equal to the Class Forty Three was a thing that uh, the HST, which is a thing that wound people up. Um, and I kind of, you know, sometimes it's fun to wind people up. But actually, I was making a point about this, and I, and I, I stand by the fact that people who long time watchers of Rail Natter know that I. I'm not happy with the fact we still run HSTs on the network. That shouldn't be confused with the fact that I overall dislike the HST. I think it's an absolutely iconic bit of design. It was genius, genuine genius in terms of its simplicity, but also what it achieved. Um, Was it radically transformative? Well, this is what alternative history, this is what Real Natural Alternative History is all about. We explore, by exploring the alternative history, we get to understand, well, how much impact did said thing have? Um... So we're going to explore the HST and explore its legacy by exploring what might have happened if it never existed. Um, And so, yeah, with my my Margaret Thatcher tweet, it was Margaret Thatcher equals a Class 43 HST, um, considered to have dragged the country into the modern era, but actually locked in an outdated source of power for decades, came along at a time of great change and is often credited for more of that change than not to be the case. And hopefully, I'm going to make this kind of make this case, make kind of explain what I meant by this tweet um, as we go forward. So, uh, let's get on with it. Um, first of all, we've got to kind of talk about long-distance rail in in GB, so so England, Scotland, Wales. Um, uh, long-distance rail, by which I mean kind of intercity services. What 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 is what are intercity services in in um, you know in, in GB? What do they look like? What's their structure? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, here is GB, ostensibly, missing Anglesey. Sorry, Gareth Williams, Uh, it's gone uh, because the SVG, I I got rid of the the Anglesey for for no good reason, frankly. Uh, I need a better SVG, basically, don't I? I'll do it in the future. Right, so um, this is kind of the main intercity network in GB, right? You've got... um, Services that run through to well, you've got also there's this there's kind of the extra bits, but this is the, the this is kind of the in city network. Um, so you've got kind of uh, let's get the old let's get John Madden the hell out of this. Uh, let's let's go for. Uh, actually, you know what? It's the, the the pen is fine in red. So we've got the uh, we've got kind of the, the west coast mainline here, kind of running running up here. Uh, you've got the east coast mainline, kind of running here. The middle main line here, uh, you've got the great western main line here, you've got the great eastern mainline here, uh, you've kind of got the West, south, the south the southwest main line which does this and then the cross country line which does this. Th- that, that's basically the makeup of the of the of the, the, the GB intercity city network right and you've got the secondary bits of the uh, the North Wales main line you've got the Highland line main line you've got the Aberdeen line you've got the Edinburgh Glasgow is, is really intercity Trans Pennine is intercity really um and uh, yeah other bits and pieces possibly exist that you could argue are in city I, I mean you know uh, you could argue really that the line down here to to like uh kind of Portsmouth and and via kind of Basingstoke, this this route is really an intercity route, uh, but it, it's never really thought of as such. But it, it probably ought to be. And likewise, the Brighton route is, is really ought to be considered an intercity route. You know, these these are some emissions in in kind of constant discussion. I know we talk about the North a lot, but actually it's an emission. They don't really have a good intercity service. They've got regular suburban services, but they don't really have a fast intercity service. Anyway, I digress. So let, let's let's kind of um, let, let's fade those bits that we're not paying attention to out, and just pay attention to um, the, these kind of the the, the six main intercity routes that we've got. So we've got um, we've got the the West Coast Main Line, always considered the flagship. We've got the East Coast Main Line. We've got the Great Western, probably third, coming up in third. Uh, we have the Great Eastern, way right in fourth. Uh, the Midland Main Line in fifth, and then this cross country route in sixth. So we've kind of got in this order. Um, the the um, uh, Yeah, the uh, the various intercity routes and those are these are the ones we're going to consider because these are really the ones that the The intercity one two five ran on so they're the ones we have to kind of think about Um So let us jump to no. No, let's not jump to that. Let's jump to wait for it uh, Let's just also oh, that the color wasn't very nice was it let's let's keep that white I think white looks better doesn't it? Uh, anyway, I digress. I think possibly white looks better with this as well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we're, good. we're doing it. Anyway, uh, don't mind me making my errors. The 1960s. We're going to jump straight to the 1960s. Um, so the the kind of the post-Steam era, really. We're kind of fairly well into modernization. Uh, much of modernization has already made a big mess. Uh, well, I don't, I don't agree with people who say the modernization plan was a failure. I, I think much like beaching, it's an easy and lazy thing to blame for lots of problems but actually I think the the, the the BR modernization plan was revolutionary in lots of good ways uh, okay lots of issues with traction and diesels and 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 but maybe that was a rush job from from above rather than the, a failure of the plan itself in any case um lots of good things came in the in the 1960s that are massively influential over the success of the rail network these are all um beaching things by the way so, what was the first thing that was coming about in the 1960s? Well, um, in July 1965, you had the um, you had the Corporate Identity Manual. It's up behind me. I can see it. It's over there. People can, can see it behind me. Um, in fact, I can't see it. There we are. Yeah, behind me. It's up here. There it is. There, there look. Um, the Corporate Identity Manual. Um, this was revolutionary because it made... British Railways, which then turned into British Rail, look modern. It, it, it provided it, it's you know one of the mo- one of the finest pieces of industrial design ever, and it it, it modernized the, the the look of a, of a service is really really important, it's really incredibly important that you have a uniform looking, uh, literally metaphorically, um, that you have a smart modern looking system, really critical, and and the the corporate identity manual allowed that to happen. It didn't instantly make it happen, but it provided the framework to modernize and make the system look like one thing. Really, really uh, critical. So that was, that was in, uh, let me get my mouse in the right place, that was in July 1965. What followed? Well in November 1965, you had the Intercity brand. The actual Intercity brand itself came about. Um, so the idea of, and really what, what the Intercity brand meant um, was about uh, it, it was a uh, associated there was no premium associated with Intercity uh, travel, but it, uh, unlike in other countries actually, but Intercity was associated with a uh, major connected you know the, the connectivity between major cities uh, and it allowed people to know right that's an Intercity train it's a, it's a train that goes between cities and that actually helped remarkably with people with a sense of understanding what the timetable and and alongside that something arguably even more critical associated with that, which kind of really came about from April 1966 onwards. Uh, This might be loud, so just a bit of a warning. The 0600-Hours to Mali will leave from Platform 6, calling all stations to Fort William. Thereafter, calling at Loch Eilert, Arasig, and Moran. So what what was this all about? By the way, this is the start of a wonderful um, uh, archive video. Uh, Look at the West Island line; it's glorious. Um, regular timetable. This is actually I couldn't find an actual picture of the the flapper board at Euston, which I'm really sad about. Hopefully, someone has one and they can send send me it. Um, but the, the regular, essentially clockface timings became a thing. In the mid 1960s, uh, you know, beaching initiative, part of modernization, though, really, it was a a, uh, part of the longer term pre-beaching plan of the modernization of the West Coast Mainline. Um, And that was to provide uh, services that were, um, so, for example, you have, um, you know, you have... um, uh, you know, hourly services to Birmingham, two hourly services to Manchester, and, and essentially you have this drumbeat service that didn't really exist beforehand. But it becomes that stability of service means that it becomes reliable. People can start relying on the railway. It becomes you know you get that permanence that, that just didn't exist beforehand, frankly. So this is this is Glasgow Central, yes. Um, no, this won't be Central. This is uh, this will be Queen Street, I think. This will be Queen Street, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, this is definitely Queen Street. This is Queen Street Station. In any case, um, when BR moved to the 24-hour clock, says Barry Jones, well, perhaps. Remember to help me in if you've got questions, folks. Um, we haven't had an episode on the identity manual yet. We need to get wallogram on for that one, I think. Um, in any case, so that's a thing. The, the idea of this drumbeat timetable, is, it, it's not quite tacked, but it actually not an unreasonable approximation of it, uh, although at much lower frequencies than, we, than we're kind of used to today. So... The state of play. Uh, oh yeah, of course my face is going to be over the top of this. I totally forgot about my face. Let me m- momentarily get rid of my face. So this is the little, this is the slide that we're going to be relying on to kind of paint the picture, paint the story. I'm waving my arms around but you can't see them. Um, Romeo Adocrat says Enoch Street. No, it's Queen Street. Um, Enoch Street. Romeo Atticrat, you're a, you're a, a troll man, you're a troll. Um, anyway, uh, yes, this is the state of play in nineteen sixty-five. So you have the um, you've got the class uh, eighty-one to eighty-five, and then the eighty-six. I think the eighty-six actually came out in nineteen sixty-five as well. In any case, you've got the the class 8 Xs, the eighty Xs, uh, the eighties um, uh, hauling Mark II stock at the moment, um, and and on an electrified railway, hundred miles an hour. So you have a a, a pretty modern, pretty decent spec mainline railway uh, with pretty decent signaling um, at that point on the west Coast mainline uh, the East Coast mainline is running at hundred uh, 100 miles an hour plus as well because they've got the deltics you know they've got the deltics running the Great Western uh, not not so good the the, the the westerns the the class 52s as they never really got numbered uh, ran at 90 miles an hour uh recently recently introduced by this point though um on the great eastern you had class 40s for the most part i don't know if 47s ever found their way onto the midland or the the great eastern at this point but generally had class 40s and and class 45s um and then the class 47s were running the cross-country route actually they were able to run at 95 miles an hour uh nerds who know more about exactly when these trains it's worth saying that um locomotive articles on wikipedia are awful train nerds who write those Wikipedia articles are rubbish at writing them because the stuff that's actually really important about exactly when they ran the sorts of services they ran uh, is dispensed with for nerdery about how many rivets they had on, on, on a particular part of their panel. You know, it's, it's, it, Do better. The social history of these things and where they ran and the sorts of services they ran is more important, so do better. Run Write better Wikipedia articles. Uh, Barry Jones is saying Class 37s ran on the G as well. Yeah, I picked the higher spec of the Locos that was running um, and I do believe that the higher spec of the locos running on the GU is the Class 40s. Um, but, Barry, you can correct me on that. In any case, uh, this is the state of play. And you have to say, looking at this, in 1965, it doesn't look that bad. So we've got rid of, you know, we've almost entirely got rid of steam by this point, three years more before steam was totally eradicated. And we've got 100 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour on the, on the express services. This doesn't look too bad. So already by the mid-60s, things have turned around. They're not looking too bad. If I was, if I'd have more time, I'd have put in a graph talking about the the the, ra- the rise in ridership over the period that the HST provide, uh, kind of was running, but also the broader picture. But anyway, uh, I think this is interesting for us to look at. Anyway, yeah, so here's what the uh, there's the, the West, the fifth, Class Fifty Two Western, already looking haggard by the time it was um, hauling blue grey, but that is a Mark Two coach that it's pulling. So uh, this is just interesting, yeah, Mark Two coach there being pulled. Um, uh, here is a here is a 45 uh, i think yep it's a peak running on the on the middle main line uh and again it's got it's got mark two coaches very nice uh there actually what was i saying about the I was saying that it was hauling mark ones on the on the middle mainline but actually it was hauling mark twos possibly not by 65 though probably this is a 1970s photo in fact i'm almost positive this will be a 1970s photo but in any case there we go um and a 47 the, uh, the undoubtedly the best uh this is the best diesel locomotive that that was ever that has ever been you know that, that br has ever run that's ever run on the on the the, the gb rail network the 47 uh the clement atley uh, of the <laughs> of the rail network if you like uh as you can see this one is hauling uh Walmart ones, um but uh, but there's it's a, it's a pretty modern uh, powerful diesel uh, locomotive there running happy days nice uh, class 47 doing its thing um and then of course on the East Coast mainline you do have uh, you do have the deltic running it's funny how the deltic always looks dark photos of the deltic always make it I'll always give it the, the the wrong blue shade but then all the br blue shades are wrong in this they all is it just because this it's always sunny on the east coast i don't know i don't know what it is in any case um here is uh a weirdly there's a little pullman there's, a, there's some pullman coaches in this rake there's a strange rake, but anyway it's a bunch of mark twos uh being hauled by uh, 55008 um at 100 miles an hour hammering along good stuff um because you know it's not bad. And of course the the main by this point already uh, running crack services up and down the, the uh, West Coast mainline uh, was this this is a class 86, I believe. Um, uh, yeah and it's running uh, whizzing along capable of uh, capable of 100 miles an hour on the West Coast mainline. So that's all of what's going on and in terms of how much of the railway um, is electrified, how much of the railway is electrified by this point well in 1965 the west coast main line's been electrified to um uh, through crew uh and up to liverpool and to manchester so uh, not into birmingham quite yet though it's running around birmingham the trent valley lines but you that you, you have an electrified uh, west coast main line running some of the kind of the the core uh, kind of a serious volume of uh, of train electric trains running at that point that's the flagship really of um, yes that was at Kenton Thank You Simon uh, the the flagship uh, mainline for British rail at this point is is the modernized West Coast mainline so 1967 things are afoot what is a foot you might wonder well uh, suggestions and proposals are being made for a development of the the um, Essentially, a bit, a bit of a hedging of the bets, for there to be a. Actually, you know what? I, I, I can uh, just gonna do this, and I can tell you exactly what is. Let me just do this. Thank you, lovely. Um, yes. Uh, the new newly appointed director of design, uh, a chap called Walter Jowett, I think. Um. Kind of starts looking at studies for future plans uh, and looks at the concept of a of a kind of a diesel multiple diesel electric multiple unit with a kind of a top and tailed uh kind of uh top and tail. oh you can't see me wiggling my fingers around. I can do that. It's kind of a small face. Uh, kind of a top and tailed lo- kind of essentially locomotives top in a fixed formation with coaches in between. Uh 1967 is when that that proposal for what would what in the real timeline became the HST the HSDT as it was at the time the high speed diesel train. Um, this is kind of what it, the early proposals for it looked like. This kind of strange looking thing right now. So it's a Bobo wheel arrangement. That's uh, that's two bogies with two axes on each bogie. Um, and uh, yeah, it was going to have ten coaches either side. It was going to be. Um, it was already going to you know all at the, by this point. By the way, the Mark Three coach was already well in development. The Mark Three coach was like already kind of well in development. So, what of this situation of which we speak? Well, this is kind of off the back of the, not really the success, but the knowledge gained by running a similar sort of formation in the form of the Blue Pullmans, and you can't ignore the similarity between these two units, you know, there's there's a lot in common between these two, Um, so worth worth kind of uh no stick that in uh, in your back pockets not jot that down in your jotters and uh, and 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 keep it in in the back of your head so a year later 1968 a chap called terry miller arrives um now terry miller was the chief mechanical engineer of the of of british railways and um he, sorry, Chief Engineer for Traction and Rolling Stock, but it, it's basically the Chief Mechanical Engineer. I can't exactly remember when the, ne- the, the titles changed, but that was in the middle of 1968 uh, is when, um, uh, is when uh, Terry Miller arrived. Now, in the real timeline, he was an instigator of the development of the high-speed diesel train, right? Let us jump, however, to the 1970s. Oh, oh, oh we're jumping to the 1970s. Uh, and we are now, worth noting... We are now diverting from the timeline. The timelines are diverging. Um, we, as as with the APT episode, we are the timelines are diverging, and we are riding roughshod over history and bumping into a different reality. And it's worth saying that by this point, the Intercity Advanced Passenger Train was the concept, not this branding yet, but the concept kind of was 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 being reasonably kind of it was reasonably well developed. It was it was let's say it was progressing. Um, as a result of the interest in this, um, in this project, uh, where our timelines are going to diverge is that the British Railways Board, um, as it had already been in terms of playing down, in the reality it played down a lot of stuff related to the HST, but in this timeline, the British Railways Board, wanting to make sure that the focus remained on the advanced passenger train, well, what did it do? In our alternative timeline, um... Yeah, that's right, it's... Uh, oh, why has Mint... It's I put these blinking slides together in a rush, can't you? Let me just uh, let me just do this, and then do... This. It's fine, everything's fine, it's fine, everyone. Uh, uh, I'm going to just do... Move earlier. Yeah, I think that's right. Is it right? Anyway, we're going to go here, and we're going to do this. Nope. Well, you get the gist, I think. I think this actually needs to... Uh, there we go. good, fine. Uh, we're going to go here. We're going to disappear that. Yes, there we go now. There we are cooking on gas now. Uh, because the Intercity 125, um, before it even gets off the ground, is cancelled. The project is cancelled. Um, uh, Terry Miller is told to uh, focus on making sure the Mark 3s uh, are as good as they can be. The Mark 3 coach design, that, that coach design progresses. Um, but that uh, the Intercity 125 is binned off as a project, not to be progressed because the APT is... Um, is kind of absolutely has priority and needs to progress. Now, I think BRB should have done this. <laughs> I I know that the HST was very important and and transformative and and this and that, but I think BRB should have told Terry Miller not to do this. I think they should have told him to to to, to lay off on the Incity One Two Five project. Anyway, I you know I benefit hindsight. You know, let us progress. Why? Why? Why am I saying that? Well, let us continue. So, uh, the, as I say, the the, the Mark Three coach continues its development. Here is one of the prototypes uh, in a kind of a nice Pullman livery. It's quite nice. Uh, arguably nicer than the Nick off of Double Arrow reckons this is a better livery than the uh, than the the actual livery that they ended up in the, the you know the the flipped uh, livery. But anyway, where have you all where have you all gone to? By the way, I can't see you. There uh, we are. Uh, yes, sorry, Sakara. So, Birmingham, the bigger city, was still served by diesels only at this point. Yeah, they didn't electrify Birmingham New Street until 1967. Um, so, we've jumped forwards to 1971. So, that was all happening in the at the start of the 1970s. But we've jumped forwards to 1971. Because in 1971, the Mark II D coach is introduced. So, this is the... Um, Uh, This is the, let me just whiz up here until I'm exhausted uh, because I'm not making any sense. This is, what's good about this coach? Well, it's longer, it's pressurized and air conditioned. It's got modern IC70 seats, the same seats that have been developed for the the HST. Oh, is that right, actually? I don't know if that is right, but it's got nice seats. It's not, I don't know if it's got the, the IC170 seats yet, has it? I can tell you this. Oh yeah, no, they did. They did have the IC uh, seventy seats, so the IC seventy seats, which were developed as part of the development for the uh, for the HST uh, for the Mark three coaches, those got rolled into this. So you've got a modern air conditioned coach. Now this makes a huge difference. This is not alternative timeline. This is real timeline, by the way. This this is really important because suddenly you had a comfortable air conditioned, uh, either warm or cool, depending on the t- the t- weather uh, coach, that I think made a huge difference to the traveling experience uh, you can see it on regional railways when you know it took a lot longer for air-conditioned stock to arrive you know the the class 158 was the first air-conditioned train for goodness sake and that was only arriving in the late 80s and that made a huge difference to the condition to the to, to regional railways so i think that was a big difference you know in the interiors of these trains are pretty snazzy i mean good grief this is a snazzy interior um you know they were modern they, they felt modern they looked modern they had modern interiors that suddenly the the kind of the perception, the, 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 when you walk into one of these trains, the perception's different to what it was. You know, the, the Mark 1s are quite, quite radically different. Um, right, a bit of a convergence with our APT alternative history, because in November 1971, so after the Mark 2D had been introduced, uh, this this chap, Jellicoe, where is he? Ah, oh, uh, there we are. There, fix that. there's too much of a rush this chap (laughs) jellico oh is it edward is his name edward Eh, i can't remember actually in any case uh he initiated he was in charge of of undoing economic problems and personally intervened in the apt project and if you remember this is where we have the timeline diversions in the apt episode back in episode six so 99 episodes ago um uh, where he said that the APT was to be a, a, a project that required acceleration to, to be delivered quickly. And, and I argue this is the point in time when the APT was doomed to fail, because it was too much. It was rushed too much and too much put onto it, too much pressure put onto it. So um, here's APT-E, the Experimental Advanced passenger Train Development. And... Um, yeah. So as as with the real this is still real timeline, this bit. Um it gets accelerated and this begins all the problems with the APT. And if you want to understand that we're not gonna have multiple timelines, um uh this jellico is an iteration of the Admiral. I think it's the Admiral's son. It's like his sixth son or something like that. I can't exactly remember. In any case, um uh yeah, then uh, Will, that's not an engineer, they're a politician. Uh, they're like a uh, like under secretary to the privy of the I don't know something weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to know what happened if he didn't do that, uh, then you, the APT succeeds and we can. You, I would recommend you go and watch episode six because it's a very fun uh, alternative history that you get to go and explore. Um, but we, for the purpose of this episode, we're going to assume that Jellicoe gets his way, pushes the project hard, and um the Apt ultimately fails so we're continuing with the Apt failure timeline we're not doing we're not changing we're just holding one variable different and that's that we're bidding off the HST um and just reminded me that I actually need to uh where it? did I actually get a picture of that I didn't oh I need to uh, talk amongst yourselves everyone because I need to um, go in and grab this is gonna is this gonna work I think this is gonna this is gonna work yes good uh, excellent I need to do this and then I'm going to do this because I've just remembered to someone in the chat just reminded me uh, of um, there I've just reminded me of uh, the thing that I didn't do that I needed to add so I'm currently editing the slides as we speak because this is you know what I'm like this is what I do isn't it Uh, editing on the hoof uh, editing on the hoof Uh, there we go yeah, they're good. Fine, um, lovely. Oh my goodness. Okay, right, fine. Sorry, everyone. This is this is the sort. Of, this works even better in audio-only format. When I'm editing on the fly in in audio-only form, it really everything obviously works really well. Anyway, let me get rid of that and get rid of this because I've done the thing I need to do, and I can now continue the chat. Uh, John Christoph, this might be preempting you a bit, but if I recall correctly, the big point of episode six is overall worse network efficiency to accommodate faster trains. In this scenario, do we get better efficiency? John's thinking ahead. John's thinking ahead. Uh, I'm not going to drill quite as much into the specifics, actually, this time. Because, but but we'll, we'll, we'll get there, John. We'll get there. We'll get there. Partly because I rushed too much, but also partly because I think there's enough to go through in t- talking about the changes. We, we, we talked about... We'll get there, John. You're right. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> anyway. Ah, so... That's episode six. Go watch episode six uh, for those who aren't watching live. So 1971, what is happening? Well, uh, this is a Class 86, and um, then the Class 87, which, as you can see, is a radically different design of locomotive. Uh, it's introduced on the West Coast Main mainline. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's not a huge difference, but that's fine. It works. They Because it's electric, it doesn't need a silly pointy nose because electricity is power. So, uh, yes, here is a 110-mile-an-hour-capable Class 87. This is Black Douglas, which uh, I can't remember what number it is. Is it, is it eighth in the... Series anyway. Uh, also, you can see some nice, uh, some nice Mark II's in the background here. Lovely Mark II's there. Lovely. Um, yeah, there's there's not much difference between these two. Uh, clearly, the photographers found their their favourite spot to take photos as well. Anyway, what else is happening? Well, in 1975, the Mark IIIA coach is introduced. The local hall, you know, kind of the 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 coach, the intercity, um, the kind of the what becomes the flagship coach. Um not too dissimilar to the to the kind of the Mark II the later Mark II uh, coaches, but it, it's longer, quite a lot longer. It's 23 metres no. Twenty-three years, twenty-three meters long. Sorry, I was getting confused the IT, which is twenty-six meters long. Twenty-three metres long. Uh, so it's longer, which means you get more uh, seats per bogey, which is good because it reduces the mass. Uh, it's also just a more comfortable space. Uh, for the time, they're Safer, you know, they are safer, stronger trains, uh, uh, kind of uh, coaches, and um, they can run at 125 miles an hour, which is critical as well. So they provide, on the West Coast mainline, a very comfortable ride for, for passengers behind a 110 mile an hour capable electric locomotive. So here we go, the the, the, the Mark Three coach. So, let's see where we're at. We're It's 1975. And the state of play in 1975 I'm gonna get rid of my face again this is this is still this is not divergent by the way this is actually what's happening um, in, in in the real time in 1975 so uh, yeah you'll see there's no little alternative timeline thing here uh, because it's not the alternative timeline this is this is the actual state of play so in 1975 you had 110 miles an hour on the West Coast mainline 100 miles an hour on the East Coast mainline and then 90 or 95 kind of on the on the rest of the network so kind of okay. Interesting, fine. Um, you know, at 110 miles an hour is not bad in 1975, I don't think. Um, so let's have a look at the overall electric network. So in 1975, I've, I've stuck alternative timeline in here because, well, in 1975, actually a year beforehand, it was in 1974... Um, in the real timeline, but actually we're saying in our alternative, alternative timeline we get electrification, and we don't just get electrification of the West Coast Line to Glasgow, we get electrification of the West Coast Line to Edinburgh as well. So, this is why I've put 1975 here. So actually in 1975 we end up with a little bit of extra electrification, so they electrify up to Edinburgh as well. So you end up with the West Coast Mainland that serves both Glasgow and Edinburgh. Why did this little subtle change happen? Let's bring my little face up as well. Uh, why did this subtle little change happen? Well, because of the lack of HST development, there's a little bit more emphasis on the need to connect the major cities, and so that there, there, some bright spark says, oh, you know what? We'll we'll just pop the wires over to to Edinburgh. So they do. Slight little change, nothing radical, but just a little bit of a change. Uh, anyway, so also in um, uh, in 1975, we get uh, the beginnings of electrification up the East Coast Main Line. So rather than stopping, which is what happened after 1974, there was a stop no further real major electrification happened for a long time actually it was so yeah we had um so in terms of electrification yeah 74 nothing really in terms of intercity electrification nothing happened until uh bedpan was electrified in 1983 so a nine-year hiatus of, of kind of uh, intercity electrification in our timeline no there is no diesel alternative electric is the way there is no there is no current intercity diesel proposal that can provide the, the long-term needs of, of the network so there is no hsdt there's no hst there's nothing like that in development there is apt so they know that they're laying the ground for the apt but also the success of the west coast mainline shows that electricity and electric trains are the future so they begin the electrification as soon as they finish the west coast Mainline. that team moves over and starts to find the east coast mainline jump forwards to june 1976 here is apte oh apte Oh, what's happening in uh, Well, uh, actually, they retire APT and they start development on uh, APTP on the prototype trains. So that, that's real. That is a thing that's happening. You see no alternative timeline bubble next to it. At the same time, and this is alternative timeline, there are some interesting experiments going on about streamlining the front of a um, of the electrolocos running up and down the uh, the West Coast mainline. So they're 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 experimenting with some streamlining with the hope of, of kind of providing a little bit better acceleration and maybe reducing power requirements and, and so on. But it you know it doesn't really it's quite slow and there's not not a particular impetus because electricity just gives you unending amounts of power. So you can power a blunt-ended thing at 110 miles an hour without too much pain. So October 1976. Well, our um, what 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 we're we seeing happening. Well, we've got this this, this is a rather sad, sad looking um uh, 52 Western because in October 1976 these are still running. There is no HST, they're still running. So no HST, no change. The 52s are still in place. Uh, they might well be running with uh, Mark 2 Ds. Yes, I need to get rid of my face again. In fact, you know what? It's still it's still the cross country is still class 47s and Mark IIs. So you don't need to see any more. Um, so we have, uh, and you'll notice down here, this is the, the reality at the bottom. So I'm showing us what the difference is by the fact that we now have in, in the real timeline, the Intercity 125 has just been introduced in 1976 on the, on the Great Western, whereas they currently still have pretty slow timings with the, the, the Westerns which are still running, which in our timeline will actually get tops numbers put on the side of them. Because uh, if we jump back, these decided they did not. They've still got their D number on the side here. Look. Ah, disgraceful, bloody Western. Anyway, um, so no change. No change uh, for now. Well, there is a change because electrification is continuing to roll on. And we're seeing electrification rolling out. Uh, up the East Coast Main Line. Uh, ignore the fact that it says Wigan, you know that's fine. Yeah, we I mean, know this is from the West Coast Main Line electrification. This is from the, the early 70s. Uh, in any case, so in 1978 we see electrification completed on the East Coast Main Line. We see electrification completed right up to Edinburgh, through to through Leeds, you know, up to Leeds, through York. Um, and on to, um, on to on to Edinburgh, we have electrification up the East Coast Main Line, which is exciting. And crucially, we see electrification beginning on the the Great Eastern, and the Great Western main lines. You know, we see the need for electrification to roll out onto those lines too, because it, it's the future. There is success. You know, success begets success. The West Coast Main Line is doing is doing very well. In the real timeline, the success of the West Coast Main Line was seen as the impetus for APT. But let's have a think about that, shall we? So, uh, also, because of the success, when we see... So, the... Oh, dear, that was a critical... You didn't want to see that. Where have I gone? Why has that gone here? Yeah, there we are. Um, in 1978, in May 1978, when Electric serves to start on the uh, East Coast Mainline, a new brand is introduced, InterCity Electric. So, there is this new brand created... Uh, and kind of an update to potentially an update to the liveries of the of the rolling stock running uh, the intercity rolling stock running, but certainly the the new branding, the intercity electric branding, is starts to propagate, and it becomes you know the, the idea of electric speed becomes you know much like the intercity one two five was good grief was it on everything through the through the. Um, Uh, through the 1970s, and even the late 60s, but certainly through the 1970s into the early 80s, Incity 125 was was getting hammered as, 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 as brand new. Well, in our timeline, Intercity Electric, or ICE, as it gets so so rather than one two five they start pushing ICE, uh, sorry the Germans but uh, Britain beats you to it so the, the the I the C and the E becomes this sort of popular branding and people want to get on the ICE to Glasgow they want to get on the ICE so the InterCity Electric brand becomes quite quite successful you know you, it, it becomes the mainstay of long distance travel in, in in the UK rather than just the preserve of people on the west coast like it was at the time it becomes the thing for everyone so. Um, uh, let's see, John Christoph, was the IRL timeline speed increase on the Great Western really just due to the wrong stock or were any permanent way alterations needed for the faster speeds, very good question John Christoph. actually yeah, there's a paper which makes for very good reading, uh, maybe I throw it up actually should I throw it up, it's a great paper yeah here we are, this paper here high speed track on the Western region of British Railways uh, and it goes into the details about how much work had to be done uh, to convert a 90 mile an hour railway uh, with a 100 mile an hour sections, by the way, a conversion of this. You can see the time. The, the, this is the, the the speed before, and this is the speed after. Uh, the before and after uh, to convert into 125 mile an hour running on the Great Western, and and we in our timeline and the real timeline, we saw this happening on the East Coast Main Line as well. Actually, quite a substantial amount of, of remodeling work. You know, we had bridge bridges being reconstructed Twyford particularly was almost totally reconstructed and realigned. Um, you know, we saw this happening. This is this is this is kind of this is the stuff happening um, uh, in the rea- in reality on the. Uh, on the the Great Western to get the 125 miles an hour. So you're right, the the train wasn't the only part of the picture. Uh, a major amount of infrastructure work was, uh, and this is where it, there's some interesting like uh, track geometry markers there for the nerds. It's a nice automatic ballast cleaner for the nerds. Uh, lots of good stuff. There's some stuff on the Badminton line which was closed for five months by the way. Five month closure. No one really remembers that. Five month closure of the Badminton line to renew it. See see uh, nice nice geotextile here with the ballast on. Well, actually with a sand layer then ballast on top of that. Um, Yes, so uh, lots of stuff. And then there's, there's some S&C updates as well. You see the junction work there. It's a good paper, this, by the way. You go go and find it on the IC uh, journal. There's a nice swing-nose crossing, some junction remodeling, safety staff, and then some conclusions, a little track recording monitor there to, uh, to actually uh, sort of test that the, the track geometry was 125 mile an hour is still being maintained. Anyway, so a very good question, John Christoph. Thank you for that. Um, uh, yes, so... It's not all about the rolling stock. Those upgrades were happening, and indeed, those upgrades were happening to enable an in, a kind of a gentle increasing of the, of the, of the, of the kind of the service speeds on, on the various lines uh, around the network. So let's jump forwards to 1978 when the, uh, the East Coast Main Line is opened. Uh, you know, it's electrified to Edinburgh. We know that. So let's. What is the state of play now? Well, we have got 110 on the West Coast Main Line. We've got 110 on the East Coast Main Line. Then we've got 125, it's 110 because the 87 is 110 mile an hour locomotive. So they've build a load of new um, 87s the deltics get cascaded onto the great western and we do see some speed improvements so we speed see some speed some works going on the on the great western to increase speeds to 100 miles an hour um so that that kind of work is ongoing but the deltics are cascaded onto the great western the great eastern uh and the middle Main Line. Uh, and the the cross country line, which I mean, all my face is in front of. Uh, not much changes. Uh, they 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 they're staying the same. Uh, if I get rid of my face, boom, entirely. Yeah, they they they're still kind of doing exactly what they are. And and the reality is, you can see that this is that it's that, the same. Both timelines are, are the same for these lines. The only difference is that we've got uh, we've now not got 125 mile an hour Great Western mainline, and we don't have a 125 mile an hour um, East Coast mainline because the East Coast mainline by 1978. Uh, actually, I get the exact date because I, I, this is the first rail matter I've done show notes for myself for. Can you imagine it? It's just because I, I knew I was tired and I wouldn't remember all the numbers uh, immediately accurately. Yeah, um, uh, 1978 is when the, um, yeah, May 1978 actually is when the first of the HSTs were introduced on the East Coast Mainline. So you can see there's a difference. you know? But again, it's major work happened on the East Coast Mainline to enable it. So we've got a bit of a different situation going on. Let us jump to the 1980s. Uh, also using Mark IIs at this point. Uh, yeah, so maybe some Mark threes might have started appearing here, possibly. Um, yeah, maybe on, on kind of the middle of mainline as well. But but yeah, kind of slow to, slow to roll out. A lot of the new Mark threes went to the West Coast and also the East Coast mainline. So um, kind of the, they were the focus for now uh, in our alternative time, but also kind of in the real one as well. Anyway, the 1980s arrives and... Um, as with our Apt episode a lot of politics happens many activities happen um that keeps everyone kind of busy and they stop paying much attention to the railways which is to be honest good because there's some bad news which is that in 1981 december 1981 um well it hadn't been going well for the advanced passenger train in in, in reality or in our alternative timeline and so um in what was that? what did I say December 81. They don't do what happened in real life, which is where they think, oh, we'll maybe keep this working, we'll keep funding it. No, they just emit, they can it off. Can it. Completely can it. And they say, right, we'll take what we can, we'll use the development of this in, in new... Uh, we'll it'll take the development of, of the of the APT and we're going to dedicate it into... We're having so much luck with, with local hold, uh, rolling stock, fine. We're gonna have a we're gonna divert the what we've learned. Forget tilting. We're gonna divert what we've learned into a new one hundred twenty five mile an hour capable um, electric locomotive. So that's exactly what they do. So nineteen eighty one. So some changes now. So nineteen eighty one um, in the real history. We let's get rid of my face again momentarily. In real history, uh, in nineteen eighty one, the Intercity one two five made its way onto the cross country route on some services and only at hundred miles an hour. So there's not a radical diff. Okay, the acceleration was better, and it definitely provided a better service, but not necessarily a radical alteration. Oh, by the way, in our timeline, we are starting to see Mark 3s propagating down into the rest of the the network. By the way, um, but we have so so let so in 1981. In fact, you know what? Let's let's jump forwards again because in 1982, HSTs found their way onto the middle mainline as well. So you have uh, HSTs running both at 100 miles an hour, not 125 miles an hour, um. And these, so, so let's have a little comparison. So we've got, on the West Coast, no difference. You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. On the East Coast mainline, uh, in our timeline, we've got electric, 110. Uh, in uh, the, real, the real world, it was 125 mile an hour capable in City 125s. On the Great Western, again, 125 in the real, in the real world, our timeline only 100 miles an hour with, with Deltic still running. You know, the Deltic's still putting some miles in at this point, uh, despite their uh, kind of advanced years. They actually had quite a short run in real life, so to be honest, you could probably keep running reasonably well if they were dedicated, given that some of them are actually running in revenue stock every now and then on freight moves on the West Highland line. I mean, the, 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 you know, it's these things can work. So actually, I could I could genuinely believe that, and that's why I put it here, I can believe that Deltics would have run pretty well on the, on the, the Great Western. It would have been quite the sight, I dare say. Um. But we still on the on the Great Eastern and, and the Middle Mainline and the Cross Country. We haven't seen much change. These are looking a bit tired. The new coaches have made a difference, but we're still running diesel stock, and people are, you know, maybe a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit dis- kind of unhappy with with the lack of change. So there, there's definitely like a difference here at this point. But uh, our reality soon catches up. September 1985 sees the launch of the Class 89, 125 mile an hour capable electric locomotive very powerful um uh, incorporating the be- everything that was learned from both apt and successful running of the 87s um as well so this is, this is a very, this is a good locomotive and by this point we have seen the completion of electrification of the great great western and great eastern main lines all of a sudden the tables turn to my mind of what the hst has provided i think by 1985 a lack of hst would have been overcome by the fact we'd have had four of the main lines of uh the, you know the intercity, four intercity main lines electrified rather than two because at this point to be fair the great eastern got electrified and they started running 86s so not that different but also again you know we're seeing seeing quite a difference interestingly uh, they get rid of they, they basically get a load of 47s and they they kind of start r- running 47s and mark threes they refurbish the 47s and, and run the 47s on both the middle the main line and the the cross-country route um, in lieu of oh so that should really say like, uh, screwed that up't did I gonna watch this I can I, I have the power uh, to do this actually could I do do probably do this actually because I'm gonna go with the fact that um the uh, yeah i'm doing it i'm saying that uh actually they up read, they upgrade the, the 47 if you like it's like a i don't know what 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 up, up rating would be oh wait a minute no because when when was the um when was the <laughs> i've ignored i've totally ignored the uh, the 50 haven't i at this point i suppose i could have i could have put in the class 50 arriving couldn't i because when did the class 50 arrive here yeah. could have could have thought no, this is this is kind of rushed it didn't i yeah i suppose they'd have had 50s running was that did you hear that, everyone? That was I am two to three miles away from the nearest railway, and that was a a second British Rail 2 tone I suppose I could have had fifties, yeah. So you could say like fifties up here, uh, and here. And, and I suppose actually in reality I could have gone back here and said that these these might be running fifties. Well, yeah, possibly. You know, fifties running at this point on here, and fifties running here maybe. Uh, Oh, you can't actually see what I'm changing here. I'm sort of going back and and playing with... Yeah, could have have said that 50s are here rather than... Anyway, uh, I'm distracting myself. Right, anyway, 1985. Sorry, I'm getting lost and distracted. So whatever we've got, we've got class 50s, we've got 47s, whatever we end up running, um, whatever rolling stock we end up running... Oh, yeah, that's it. People are saying no class 50s on the Ds. That's a very good point. Um, So... Let's have a look at the, the map, shall we? So we have got – we've electrified the the Great Western and the Great Eastern mainlines. Hooray. And we're starting to look at – because of the success of this, we're looking at the electrification of the middle mainline, the cross-country route, and the southwestern mainline as well down to, uh, down to Penzance, uh, which really would tick off most of the intercity – in fact, entirety of the, of the intercity network um, – and indeed, by 89, that's what they do. They finish those. They electrify those. So by the time we reach 1989, we have got quite a radically different looking bit of railway network to what the InCity 125 enabled or did not enable. So we've got 125, uh, on because we've got this lovely Class 89 running, on both the East Coast and West Coast main lines, and the Great Western. So we've got this situation where the, the we've got these... We've got three 125-mile-an-hour main lines running 89s. Also... The middle of main line is running 125 miles an hour, although maybe on not quite as much of its length, maybe just up to Bedford. But yes, we've got 125 mile an hour running, mile an hour running on the middle of main line where, where it's possible. Uh probably you can get in fact you can definitely get 125 up to Kettering North Junction. So yeah, it's, it's it's doable. Decent, decent speeds. And some other bits as well. There's bits around, you know, Clay Cross has got through Chesterfield's pretty fast. Um so you get some pretty high speeds. And then on the, the Great Eastern and the cross country route, you see we've got um we've got hundred mile an hour running still. But with 87s pulling three A's, we have a much better railway system than there was actually at the time by this point. So by 1989, because of the momentum of electrification, we see a different railway and a better railway. And in the works is an interesting little, um, you know, uh, in the background is the development of the next generation of electric locomotive and, and what that might look like. Um, here you can see in, uh, the information in German from when we exported it, and, or not exported it, but we showed the Germans. We, we, we sent it to Germany to show the Germans what we were up to, because that's nice. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we reach where it's 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 the late eighties, and um, as in our APT episode, the inevitable thing happened. That is what happens if you put your entire society the whim of a bunch of uh, coked-up yuppies, um, uh, because there's obviously just a massive crash, and the early 90s happens, and indeed, we hit the 1990s, you know, the 1990s. Now, it doesn't really, it takes a little bit of time to impact the railways, the, the early 90s recession, and by this point, we have the InterCity 225 running, the InterCity 225, and it's not just running on the East Coast Mainline, it's running, or eventually will run, on the West Coast, East Coast, great western and it cascades the 89s onto the other parts of the network which in turn more track works to allow sections of 125 mile an hour running so on all of the by kind of the early 90s we're seeing um 125 mile an hour running on quite a lot of the of the rail network um uh, quite a difference really and uh, and i say quite a difference the reality is so i'm going to get rid of my i'm going to get rid of no-, no face and kind of start addressing the point that um uh, that john was just making earlier. Um, yeah, I'm rewriting, rewritten history, that's right. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll get to the, the yeah, the Transpennant, well, I've kind of excluded the secondary routes because actually you might have seen electrification on those as well, but I've kind of excluded them at this point because there's a lot of variables to play with. I was kind of just trying to make the broad point about the main lines and about the things that impacted on and, and benefited kind of um, in city travel. So I think by 1991 that there's not much difference actually, other than the fact that you've got a much more electri- electrified network. What what I, what we do see is because of the fact that we've got a much more electrified network. Just as John was alluding to, um, John Christoph Morgan, hello in the chat by the way. Um, John Christoph was alluding to the fact that um, because of elect- with an electric railway, you can run everything. Much more clo- like the, the the acceleration behaviors of all the stock are much closer together. So actually, you get more capacity with an electric railway, quite substantially more, like measurable amounts more capacity on an electric railway than a um, than, uh, than a diesel one. Um, and as a result of this, we do have we don't see the closure that we we got with APT. Um, we saw that we were seeing much more local stations, many more local stations closed, and fewer local railways you know a, a fewer commute kind of um intermediate railway services we don't see that with this timeline in fact we potentially see an increase in the number of intermediate services because not only have you got the um the acceleration that you, you that the, the hst did provide with electric locos, but also you've got the ability to fit many more trains in amongst each other so you end up running being able to run more services uh, around and also electric trains the new the, the 89 accelerated you know our 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 hypothetical 89 accelerates imp- very impressively, um, but also the the new rolling stock coming in um, in our alternative timeline. You know you, you see because of the fact you've got electric railways, you see more electric multiple units being developed. You see more interest in you know those the, the cause perhaps the networkers arrive earlier. You know so you see an upgrading of the, the electric railways are a positive feedback loop in allowing a better overall uh, system. You know not just the service but the system is better. So. Uh, Let us, the the timelines have converged at that point. One uh, definite loss, uh, one downside, if you like, is that the, um, the Intercity XPT, which I find hilarious because it's an Intercity 125 with APT branding on it. Uh, very strange. In any case, the export of this um with bud cars, weirdly, to Oz it, it doesn't happen. So Oz, you're on your own. You've got to come up with your own new trains. Source, folks. Um John Christopher's asking if 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 we're hearing 125 mile an hour container trains, well, this is the this is the socialist utopia utopia we were promised. Um, yeah, well, quite possibly. Um, even in our timeline, the the 89 is very quick off the mark. Yeah, thanks, uh, Alfonso. Yeah, uh, true. Oh, so. so 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 so, let's get my little face back. That was that was a, a high speed whiz, literally and metaphorically, through uh, a bit of alternative history. I wanted this to be a shorter one, hence why I didn't go into quite as much detail about kind of the nuances and, and, and subtleties. But I think that given that the HST provided the same thing that hydrogen and battery trains have been providing and buy modes have provided, which is an excuse for government not to do anything, if you take that excuse away, their hand could be forced. And you could argue that actually we just got, we get nothing, we get no treats at all if the HST didn't arrive. I am not so sure because the West Coast mainline electrification was an unmitigated success. And this is where I think that it's that the success, the importance of the HST as a train, has been overplayed because on the West Coast Mainline, uh, ridership doubled on the West Coast Mainline between 1965 and 1972. I think I've got the numbers in front of me here, 62 and 75. Sorry, passenger traffic doubled on the West Coast Mainline between those times. Um, yeah, so that's 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 like a that's an enormous leap on you know with electric trains arriving um earlier on the east coast i think and indeed on the great western so there we go um that's my comparison i think it remains i'm gonna make it go away don't worry in fact i'll make my large face appear here i think that um I, that, that's I'm, i stand by it i i damn well stand by it as well um where do north of london eurostar nightstar services fit in this timeline hmm Oh, we could get complex. Complex. There's a lot of other variables we could throw in. and I decided that we'd have ended up with a two-hour. I've got a meeting that was two minutes ago with with uh, high will with with I'll uh, well as soon as this episode ends I will jump onto the Discord. Anyway, oh, Australia gets the F40s. Yeah, quite possibly. In any case, um, I, I to reassure people this isn't that I don't you know it's not that I don't love the HST I think the HST is a fantastic train and I, I had a cab ride in 100, 125 miles an hour in it and it was tremendous fun I just think that we there's a little bit of hagiography associated with the train and with its impact I think the bigger impact comes from air conditioned modern coaching stock regular timetables and the modern look of British Rail that happened in the mid-sixties. I think those are the critical thing. British Rail just radically modernized, and that bedded in by the time we got to the early to mid-1970s, that modernisation had started bedding in. It was it was noticeable. But by the mid-sixties it still wasn't. By the mid-70s, it really bedded in quite well. And I think that had the HST not arrived and instead you had, you know, APT still fails, but you have this drive for running electric services everywhere. I think you'd have seen a, a better railway network than we have now, actually. Um that doesn't stop me then wanting to, you know, remind us all what what the HST is all about. This is going to be loud. I should have pre-warned you, but this is going to be loud. Oh, that's that's going to full power in an HST power car, quite nice. Not a Valenta though, sadly. But anyway, still fun, uh, still knackered looking. Oh crikey, that was it. Yeah, that was loud. Everyone is now deaf. Marvelous. Sorry about that, particularly in audio only form. Uh, you can uh, complaints to the PayPal. This is available in podcasting platforms everywhere, left, right, and centre. Do do come and listen. <laughs> yeah. Oh crikey, um, patreoncom Dennis for supporting more of this sort of thing. So, oh, I've still got my little face in the corner. I never do that, do I Let's get rid of that. Um the merch is not a thing at the moment. It'll be back hopefully soon. Paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis uh to shout at me about the loud noise. And disgarath UK slash Discord, an incredibly lively community. I love all of you. Um it uh, yeah, uh, it's a great place, and you can discuss this to your heart's content. This 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 little tidbit of an episode, and if you want to, if you want me to peel away and pick up and explore other bits, then uh, then you can do so. Uh, tell me if you're a patron supporter, you can suggest that we pick up elements of this and explore them further in a future episode. Uh, what else is going on? Um, oh, yeah, some, so, so last, the last episode, episode 58 of the Archipelago series, uh, was has uh, been renamed to Bristol Loses Its Tracks because, spoiler alert, that happened. Um, but also the next episode, episode 59, Aviation Takes Off, which was supposed to be episode 58, but we didn't get there because history is taking longer to happen. But it's all fine and good. But before that, this Friday, uh, episode 58.1, um, it's a Patreon-only episode, so you can only get this episode if you're a Patreon subscriber. We're going to do some recording of corporate history. We don't progress history in these episodes, but we do we do have a look at things. Um, in uh, We will be having a look at things. So we're going to record some corporate history. We're going to go through and have a look at some of the companies around the, the, the islands of, uh, of um, So So tune in for that. Ooh. Next week episode 126 it's going to be a newsy episode so it'll be 50 news but also the other 50 we will do a page turn through the transport select committee's integrated rail plan inquiry report there's a mouthful hooray we are going to have a look at that and um uh we'll have a look at that and hopefully there'll be some stuff for us to learn we'll see if there's anything in there i haven't done a proper uh i, I have read through it but I-, I haven't done a page turn it'd be fun to do a page turn with all of you so let's have a look at that Oh, that was um, that was a bit chaotic. I'm sorry, I was an hour late. Everyone, it's really not good enough, was it? But um, and I'm sorry, I've not followed the chat deeply because I'm more tired than I thought I would be. And uh, but I think I picked up a few things. Um, uh, hopefully that was interesting. <laughs> hopefully. it lived up to the hype of the previous one i enjoyed i enjoyed putting it together not as detailed as the apt one probably not quite as good but I, I still enjoyed it hopefully you all enjoyed it too um them's me thoughts we didn't get to play with the apt formations like we did last time but also i kept it to an hour ish so you know swings and roundabouts right anyway everyone <sighs> it's been a bit of pleasure i will see you all next week uh, or I'll see some of you on Friday night. In any case, it um, only remains for me to wave vigorously at the camera while I say cheerio. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio. I'll see those of you who know who you are momentarily. Bye. Cheerio.